0: to have you all here. Uh, this is kind of a special Sunday for us because we are highlighting our our member missionaries. Um, we have uh, heard from Corey and Corinne Fair downstairs during ABF and and uh, uh, great to have them here. They've been here for many years with us, members of our church and out on the mission field. Um, this after, or for this service here, uh, we're going to hear from Brian Scheffler. Now, Brian is uh, uh, the Uh, President of uh, Christian Camping Ministries. He's also the secretary. He's also the um, the uh, janitor, I believe, of that mission field that's out there. And Brian has been uh, a member of this uh, church for longer than I can remember, and and has been in the. uh, Camping ministries here for uh, for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, some of my children came up through that and are grown up and have children now. Uh, so he has impacted a tremendous number of people out here. It's a great uh, time um, to hear from our member missionaries. And after the service, you're all welcome to join us downstairs for the munchin with the missionaries, where you will be able to actually in an informal setting, ask questions of both uh, uh, Corian, Corinne, and also Brian also. So please, uh, please do that. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce Brian and let him take over from here. Thank you, Brian.
1: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. This morning it's good to be any place where it's warm. Uh, yesterday we were out canoeing on the Seneca Cayuga Canal And I was actually fairly comfortable until late morning when um, one of the canoes with three ladies tipped over. And um, I took compassion on them and shed my fleece and my windbreaker to a couple of them. And then I was a little chilly, but that's the way it works. (laughs) But um, I'm thankful this morning for the the church here. Um, This has been my, my home church for somewhere around 30, 32 years, I believe. Um, I have no way of figuring out how long the church has supported me financially as one of their home missionaries, but um, that has been been greatly appreciated. Um, Also, the many individuals in this church who share financially in the ministry. Um, I don't have a a million-dollar budget. I don't have scores of churches that, that support me. I have a handful of churches and a handful of individuals, and being single and living frugally, God has, has uh, met my needs over the years. And a number of you have been involved in various capacities. Um, some of you have served in different ways, um, assisting me uh, with equipment, um, assisting me with firewood, uh, assisting me with ironing, <laughs> to which I'm extremely grateful also appreciated over the years um, the church body here as um, you've stood with me during some financial challenges Um, back in 1993 when I had my first heart attack and then my second heart attack in 2002 and then three years ago open heart surgery. Um, I'm so thankful for those in the church who um, supported me and encouraged me during that time. This morning, before we look into scripture, um, I'd like to share a little bit about my ministry. This morning I don't have a raft and canoe and kayak up here on the stage as I did a year or two ago. Uh, This morning I don't have any PowerPoint slideshow. Most of you have seen um, slides and pictures of what I do. And if you've seen one canoe trip, you've, you've seen them all. They all have common themes. But the... Theme verse that the mission committee chose for this month is in Second or Third John verses seven and eight, and it says, "For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth." And I was thinking about the the idea of going out. Um, it's been thirty five years now that I've been in youth ministry which I guess is a little bit of an anomaly. Um, A lot of youth pastors, you know, start out in the ministry working with teenagers and then as as their personality and things in their life change, many of them, you know, move up into senior pastorate. And um, that's not the way God has wired me and equipped me. God has um, wired me to work with teenagers with my life. Um, As Chris was sharing, um, I'm well into my second generation of young people. rarely a group comes to my cabin that somebody doesn't come up to me and say their parents said hello because their parents used to go on camping trips and retreats with me. Um, Two weekends ago I had a youth workers retreat and canoe trip. It was a church I'd never worked with before and they were mostly young 20 age and I thought well finally you know here's gonna be a, a group that's totally new to me you know I don't think I've taken any of their parents on camping trips And I'm I'm sure I haven't met any of them, but lo and behold, as we're sitting at my cabin and I'm telling about the other things that I do in ministry, um, two of them said, did you by chance take a group from Corning rafting years ago? And turns out two of them had had been rafting with me years ago. Um, Just a few highlights from the the last year. Uh, Last November, I was greatly encouraged as a group of young men from a Bible school in Texas we were passing through the area and somehow we came in contact with each other and they ended up spending a couple days at my log cabin helping me with um, staining the whole cabin and helping me with a number of projects and that was a a tremendous blessing to me. Um, Another highlight, back Memorial Day weekend, I had a a youth group from southern Maryland drive seven and a half hours to uh, spend the weekend at my cabin and a canoe trip with me. Uh, They'd never traveled anywhere near that distance. I'd never had a group travel anywhere near that distance. And uh, we had a great time together. Uh, God worked in their lives, and they've already scheduled for this coming Memorial Day to to make the seven-and-a-half-hour journey once again. Many of the groups that I work with are church youth groups. Um, I think the last count, somewhere around 225 different churches that I've served over the last 20 years. Uh, for those of, those of you that don't know, from 1978 to 1988, I was on staff at what is now Family Life Ministries. It was Youth for Christ at the time. I worked in the youth department, um, helping lead uh, youth action clubs in some of the school districts here in Staben County, as well as camping trips and retreats for them. But I was kind of a round peg in a square hole. Um, if you were in ABF this morning, you heard Corey talk about his ministry and how he Uh, trains and organizes and um, helps leaders and that's not the way that I'm wired. Um, I could not do what Corey does Um, I could not do what Pastor Ken does but um, God has given me a burden for helping churches with individual events and um, so throughout the course of the year and the winter months I have a log cabin that many of you were involved in some capacity and when we built it 11 years ago And um, during the winter months, I do winter retreats and snow camps. Last year I had 11 winter retreats. Ten of them were at my own cabin, and the other one was at a camp that we rented out. April is my rafting season. I own my own fleet of rafts and take youth groups and adult groups rafting down the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon in April. Uh, We did have a tough year this year because of low water conditions and um, only got one of my five scheduled trips in and converted a couple of the others to canoe trips the end of April, I typically pack the rafts away and get the canoes out, and we start canoeing beginning of May on the Cohocton River from Bath to Campbell. Then when that gets too low, we switch over to the Chemung from Corning to Elmira. By summertime, as they get low, we do our trips up on the Seneca Cayuga Canal in Waterloo and Seneca Falls. That's where we were yesterday. I think yesterday was my 17th canoe trip of the year. Uh, Normally I wrap up canoeing on Columbus Day weekend, but I had this weekend's group that called and wanted to extend it a little bit, and then a few weeks ago a pastor called and wanted to know if I could do a trip next weekend, so next weekend I've got a men's and sons uh, canoe trip, and that will kind of wrap up the canoe season. In the summer I do tent camping trips to a lake in Pennsylvania where we water ski and inner tube and that kind of thing. Um, I also do a trip in the Adirondack Mountains with a camp from the Potsdam area called Camp Mandeville. I've been working with them for about seven or eight years now, helping co-lead their adventure camp, as well as um, hosting groups at the Cabin in the summertime. One of the highlights of my year is a group that comes in at the end of June. The uh, students come from all over the Northeast and they are on a three-week student discipleship program with a Christian ministry from the Buffalo area they spend the first four days at my cabin doing canoeing uh, teaching, bonding as a group and then from there they head back to the ministry headquarters and usually end up in New York City in New Jersey doing some mission work and uh, it's been my privilege for I think five years now to, to host them um, my cabin is plush in some regards but it's rustic in others in the fact that it doesn't have showers and it has an outhouse and when this group first contacted me, they're like, okay, um, or I, I was actually like, what are you going to do about this you know, shower thing? And um, they bring sun showers and um, hang them from trees, go out in their swimsuit, and um, it's a culture shock for the teens, but they still comment about it to me on Facebook. <laughs> this month has been reasonably busy. As I mentioned, two weekends ago, I had a youth leaders retreat and canoe trip at my cabin and then uh, yesterday had a group from Rush Henrietta area Uh, about 15 of us spent the night at the cabin Friday night and then canoed yesterday. Uh, Friday night I was sharing a message with the young people about the love of God and about how um, today's generation of young people is starved for love. And I shared one of the contributing reasons for that is a lot of teenagers today come from homes where they don't have moms and dads that love them and affirm them and show them the proper love. And I didn't find out until yesterday afternoon the youth pastor was telling me that one of the young ladies who was on the trip, that was exactly her situation. And um, it's just neat how God you know, brings messages that are relevant to the lives of people. Uh, next, next weekend, as I mentioned, I've got a men's and teen canoe trip. Uh, the following weekend I'll be up in the Buffalo area uh, sharing my ministry as a vendor at a men's conference called Iron Sharpens Iron and then um, the next day I'll be sharing God's word over in Burns at Burns Community Church Then the first weekend of um, November I've got a boys retreat from Elmira Christian Academy. Um, they'll be coming to my cabin. Then things kind of slow down a little bit until the winter retreat season kicks in. I thought this morning um, many of you know me a little bit from around church but I'll be honest with you I'm not the easiest person to to get to know I'm an introvert by nature Um, I don't socialize well with adults I would much rather and I say this in all honesty if I had a choice I would much rather be with a group of teenagers that I've never met than with a group of adults that I've known for years that's just teenagers are my life Um, but over the years, as, as we think of this idea of going out as a missionary, um, I realized years ago that if I was going to connect with teenagers, I needed to be in their world. When a missionary goes overseas, he leaves his culture and goes into their culture. And so for the last 30 years, I've endeavored to live in the youth culture. Um, I am single. That has made it a little easier in some regards. But um, just a few things in that area, in light of the message that I'd like to share this morning, just so you'll understand where I'm coming from, um, in addition to being a, a full-time missionary, and I, I call my ministry Christian Camping Services, it's not an incorporated name, um, it's just dis- a descriptive name of what I do, um, I got a laugh this, w- this last week, I always get sample pens in the mail from a couple pen manufacturers, and um, you know they're, they're, they're pretty good at marketing and they put, put your um, company name on the sample that they send you. Well, somebody messed up at the pen company because the last pen they sent me says Christian Companion Services. <laughs> I opened that envelope a couple nights ago, and I just... I was sitting in front of my computer and I just died. (laughs) Christian companion services. Hmm. They obviously don't know that I've been single for all my life. (laughs) But when I'm not um, ministering God's word full time, I I endeavor to be around young people. Um, Some of you may or may not know that for 22 years I've substitute taught at, uh, primarily at Sport and Avoca schools and years ago some at Prattsburg school. I don't do that quite as much as I used to um, probably 10 or 12 days a year now but it, it keeps me in their world so that as I'm talking to young people I, instead of saying 35 years ago in school I can say this last week in school. Um, for 22 years I refereed girls basketball in Stebena and Allegheny County up until I had my open heart surgery Uh, usually 40 or 45 basketball games, a winner. Some of you have seen me on the basketball court. Um, I also in the spring and fall drive school bus for the Prattsburg School District. I don't drive daily, but I drive for their sports teams, their baseball, softball, soccer, and tennis teams. Um, Gets me again in the youth culture. And then here in Steven County, they have something in the schools called Academic All-Stars, which is like the public schools version of Bible quizzing and for the last 19 years I've been involved as a volunteer moderator for academic all-star matches. So again, um, teenagers are my life. Um, One of the things as a single person I always wrestle with is what to do on vacation. And uh, some of you that are friends with me on Facebook know that I was asking for ideas last month for a vacation and um, actually it was a teenage girl from, from Delaware that ended up shaping my vacation. I actually sent her a message and said, what's there exciting to do in Delaware? And she said, nothing. <laughs> but she said, our family goes to, to uh, Cape May, New Jersey, to the beach. And um, just met this girl this summer. She's a water-oriented young lady like I am. And so uh, based on her recommendation, I ended up taking my vacation to the, the beach in New Jersey. It's a blessing to meet Young people from all across the Northeast that are on fire and sold out for Jesus Christ. I would have no way of guessing how many young people over the years that I've met. Um, I'm blessed on Facebook in some of the conversations that God allows me to have with some of these young people. I'm blessed just by some of the things that they post. Um, A couple days ago, a a young lady from the Cortland area put a, a picture on Facebook. It had a three boxes that she could check. One was um, taken, one was available, and the other was focused on God. And this girl pasted on her Facebook page for all her friends to see that she was focused on God. It wasn't three hours later, another um, Facebook friend of mine, gal from Reading, Pennsylvania, put, the only guy I need is Jesus. And so it's neat to, to meet young people that are on fire for Jesus Um, I'll be honest with you, some of them are in churches that I would not be comfortable fellowshipping myself, but there's a lot of young people out there that are are living for the Lord. Also get to meet a lot of youth leaders, youth workers, that are excited about what God wants to do through them. I just read on Facebook this last week um, a youth leader who apparently just came from a conference where he got focused on vision, but... He posted on Facebook that his vision was to fill their 800-seat sanctuary twice a week with on-fire teenagers. His, another one of his goals was to see 365 salvation decisions in Jesus for among teenagers this coming year. So God is working in the lives of teenagers. So before we look into scripture, let's bow for prayer if we could. Father, thank you this morning for the, the chance to, to be together I pray that um, as I share some things about our culture and our world this morning, that you'd help the young people see the world in which they live. Lord, I pray this morning you'd help the college students here see the culture and what the messages that the culture has for them. Lord, I, help, I pray as adults that you'd help us ask the question, have we bought into some of these messages of our culture and help us to also understand the world in which our young people and our grandkids are living. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, when I was growing up, and um, a few of the college-age students here have heard me share some of these truths before, but as I was preparing, um, I tried to go some different directions with my message, and God kept bringing me back to, Brian, this is what I'd like you to share this morning. But um, growing up, during my teenage years, they started doing something on television that they had never done prior to that, and that was repeating the same commercial during the same sports event or TV show. And the first time I ever saw that happen, I thought somebody messed up back at the studio. I just saw this commercial a little bit ago. But as you know, today if you turn on the Super Bowl or a movie or a sitcom, it's not unusual to see the same commercial two, three, or even four times. And the reason for that is marketers know that the more times you hear a message, the more likely you are to remember it and in their mind, hopefully, buy their product. Well, today, our world has a lot of messages for our young people. Those messages come through the music that is being produced in our world. Those messages come through the movies and the TV shows that are being produced. Those messages sometimes come from teachers in the public schools. Our parents have a message for us. Our church and our youth leaders have a message for us. Everybody has a message for our young people. And it's important in life that they learn to be able to sort out true messages from false messages. So this morning, I'd like to share with you several statements that I've heard young people make over the years. I'm going to share some illustrations of them. And again, that's where um, some of the things that I do on the side kind of come in. But the first statement, if you want, if you're, happen to be jotting things down, is the statement and the idea that it's my life. I'll do with it what I want. Our world is telling our young people that their body and their life is theirs. Here's some examples I've heard of this one. It's my life I'll go where I want to go. It's my life I'll come in when I want to come in at night. It's my life I'll date who I want to date. I was substitute teaching one time, and a student said, I'll sit where I want to sit in class. That alphabetical order stuff, that's for the little kids. For older teenagers, it's the idea, it's my life, I'll drink if I want to drink. Statistics say that 20% of teenagers over the age of 12 binge drink at least five times in the last 30 days. Our world has convinced teenagers that they're in control of their own life, their own destiny. Today, probably more than any time in history, young people believe they have the resources to control their own destiny. Some teenagers control their family. Dad says, we're going on vacation to Aunt Sally's house. And Joe Teenager says, Aunt Sally's house? I've been there enough. I'm not going. If we're going to Darien Lake or Disneyland for family vacation, I'll go. But I'm not going to Aunt Sally's house. Sometimes at school, students believe they're in control at school. One school I'm aware of a number of years ago had to hire a new vice principal just to kind of reestablish some discipline in the school. Of course, the person who lives by the philosophy it's my life thinks, what interest do I have in God, Jesus, or church? They're just another authority structure to tell me what to do. They're living by the philosophy if it feels good, I'll do it. If I like it, I'll do it. That's what the world is telling young people. But open to the book of Proverbs. If you would with me this morning, we're going to look at some verses and see what scripture has to say about this idea of it being our life. This morning, as I share some illustrations from the teenage culture, I'd also like to draw some of them into the college and adult world as well, if I could. But we're going to just look at a few verses here. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, most people are doing what seems right to them. Proverbs 21, verse 2. All of a man's ways seem right to him. Again, man does what seems right to him. And then Proverbs 27, verse 1. Here we read, Do not boast about tomorrow you don't know what a day may bring forth. Now, that verse isn't saying that it's wrong to say, well, you know, tomorrow, God willing, we're going to get up, we're going to go to work, you know, we're going to go to school, whatever. But you see, the person who says, it's my life, I'm in control, is the one who says, this is what I'm going to do next week, this is what I'm going to do next month, this is what I'm going to do next year, this is what I'm going to do for a living, I have life all planned out. Proverbs 27:1 tells us that's boasting. We don't know what the future holds. And then turn over if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This of course is written to believers. A couple of verses many of you probably have memorized. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Is that what the culture is telling teenagers? Is the culture telling teenagers that your body is God's? No, it's telling them that their body is their own. The world would tell me, hey, if I want to climb a 50-foot telephone pole, which I wouldn't do because I'm afraid of heights and I'm good for about three steps up, but the world would tell me if I wanted to climb a 50-foot telephone pole and see if I can flap my wings and fly, the world would say, go for it, it's your body, it's your life. It's not what God's word says. God's word says my body is God's. It's not mine to go out and do stupid things with. Those are some applications of this idea in the teenage world. How does this play out in the college age world? And this is one of the things that kept bringing me back to sharing this this morning. I have here in my hand a newspaper from a state school in New York, it's not Alfred, it's one of the other schools, and it was a issue put out welcoming students back to the college campus It's dated August 20th and there's an article that I can only share bits and pieces with you because of the ages of people here this morning. But the article is entitled, Avoid Insecurity About Your Sexual Experiences. To the returning students, welcome back. I hope your summer was as entertaining and debaucherous as can be. To the new freshmen on campus, welcome to college. Whether you're here for the next three weeks, it happens. Or the next three to six years, I promise this phase of your life will be unforgettable. That being said, the experience will be what you make it. I recommend you say yes to any and all opportunities thrown your way. You never know if you will love or hate something until you try it. Then try it again, because first impressions aren't always right. For some of you, college will be the first time in your life that you can be yourself. I can promise you that no one here will care who you are. Ditch the fronts or the labels you cling to so closely in high school and learn to be comfortable in your skin. The faster you accept yourself, the faster you'll adjust to college life. Trust me on this one. Then a couple paragraphs that I can't share with you. Then this writer says, sex is a part of the college atmosphere. Some of you may quickly recognize the perks of being away from your parents. And then, a few paragraphs later, maybe you aren't the only person your partner has ever wanted, but shouldn't it be enough that you're the only person your partner is with now? And then a couple paragraphs later, high school and its presumptions and contests are over. If you're still buying into all of that, you're going to have a hard time adjusting to the relaxed down-to-earth mentality of college. That's all in the past. That's what incoming freshmen are hearing at public colleges. It's your life. It's your body. Do with it what you want. Truth, God says, we're bought with a price. We're to honor God with our bodies. Statement number two that I often hear made primarily by teenagers, is, I'm bored. I've got hundreds of friends on teenage friends on Facebook, and one of the most common statements that I see on Facebook is, I'm bored. We're living in a generation where young people have become entertainment-oriented, where they've learned to become spectators. And the problem with this is the world comes along and offers that excitement these teenagers. That's why teens get sucked into the parties and the drugs and the alcohol and things of that type. Let me explain to you why we get bored sometimes. See, God puts within us certain abilities. For example, each of us have a physical ability. Now, looking around the congregation, some of you have great physical ability and some of you might not be terribly athletic neither one is right or wrong, it's just the way God created you God gives us physical abilities well, if we don't fill that physical capacity by doing physical things we're going to be bored that's why you have teenagers in the middle of the summer who spend all summer in their room playing video games making the dumbest statement that a teenager could ever make I can't wait for school to start Teenagers, does it make any sense to you for a teenager to say that? No. They're not saying they want to get back to history class. They're saying they want to get back with their friends. They want to get back to the sports and activities. Well, in the same way, God puts within us spiritual capacities. And many times, you know, growing up, we get the idea, you know, if I go to church, if I go to Sunday school, if I go to Awana, you know, I'll fill that spiritual capacity. But there's an element of the Christian life that a lot of Christian teenagers miss and that is service and ministry. And that's one reason that the Word of Life program encourages young people to get involved in ministering. Because spiritually, it's kind of like eating. When a group comes to my cabin for a retreat, we always have, I'm predictable, we always have French toast and sausage for breakfast. The French toast record at my cabin is 26 slices for a girl and 30 for a guy. You can ponder that later. But when they have breakfast in my cabin, they have all the food they want. Then we go out and we paddle a canoe all morning. And by the time they get to lunch, they are hungry for some lunch. They have burned off some of what they've taken in. Spiritually, it works the same way in our life. You know, if we go to church, we go to Sunday school, we go to Olympians, we go to, you know, vac- all these places, we're taken in, we're taken in, we're taken in. And if we're not using what we're taking in, sometimes we reach spiritual capacity. And that's where you get the teenagers that come to youth group and they look at their youth leader and they're bored out of their mind. Well, I know this story better than the youth leader. Colossians 1.16 says that we are created by God and for God. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Is that what the world is telling young people? That abundant life is in Jesus Christ and knowing him? No, the world is telling them parties, drugs, sex, alcohol. That will fill that boredom factor. So again, lie number two of our culture. You're bored and we've got the answers to your boredom. The third statement that I often hear young people make is the statement, it's no big deal. So what? Here's some examples I've heard of this one. So what if I get to class after the bell rings? What's the big deal? The teacher doesn't start for another 10 minutes. So what if I don't study for the test? I'll, I'll still pass the course. So what if I fail the course? When am I going to need seventh grade Spanish in real life? One time I was substitute teaching and I said something to a student about his language, and his response was, Well, so what if I use that language? My parents do. For some pe- teenagers, it's it's the idea, you know, so what if I sleep around? You know, my mom's got a different boyfriend every month. Young people today are growing up in a culture where there's a moral vacuum, where we have taken the names of things the scripture calls sin and we've made them socially acceptable. Today, we no longer refer to people as drunks. That's not the right word. We say they have a disease of alcoholism. Today, we don't call people homosexuals. We say they have an alternative lifestyle. That's the world in which our young people are growing up. How does this play out in in day-to-day life? The world tells teenage guys, it's it's no big deal if you get caught by the law. You're you're a minor. You're not going to go to jail. You're just going to be put on probation. The world tells teenage girls, it's it's no big deal if you get pregnant as a teenager. Just get an abortion. Pretend it didn't happen. It's it's no big deal. As we move into the adult world, it plays out like this. It's it's no big deal if you uh, run up bills on your credit card that you can't pay, just declare bankruptcy, start over, it's no big deal. The world tells adults, it's, it's no big deal if you're lazy. The government will write you a check. And I'm not against government help, there are people that genuinely need it. But there's in life what I like to refer to as the law of cause and effect. I, t- I base this on Romans 6.23 that says there are wages of sin. The law of cause and effect says if you lean too far in a canoe, you're going to tip over on a cold October day in the Seneca Cayuga Canal. (laughs) The law of cause and effect says if you're lazy, you're going to go hungry. But along comes our society and says well we can't have Americans going hungry, that's un-American. We better write them a check. The world tells adults it's no big deal if you marry the wrong person and you can't get along with your spouse you know just divorce them and better luck the second time or the third time or if you're in Hollywood the sixth or seventh time that's what the world's telling us scripture Romans six twenty three: there are wages of sin there are consequences of our actions 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. One paraphrase of that verse says that scripture is used to teach us what's right, it's used to teach us what's wrong, it's used to correct what's wrong, and it tells us how to keep our life running right. That's not the message our young people are hearing in our culture. Lie number four is one that I know none of you teenagers here have ever made. But you have siblings that have made it. And that statement is, it's not fair. I'm sure not one teenager here has ever said that in your household. Somewhere we have grown up believing that life must be fair. And when we do that, little things become big issues. Here's some examples I've heard of this one. I was walking into the locker room refereeing a basketball game over in the um, gym in Andover a number of years ago, and one of the coaches is yelling at me, and and he's saying, it's not fair, you called more fouls on our team, look at them up on the scoreboard. I'm thinking, well, there's a reason for that. Uh, Your team committed more fouls than the other team. But the coach thought, to be fair, I had to call 10 fouls on Team A and 10 on Team B, even if Team A is the only one committing them. It's not fair. I was on a field trip. I didn't get the assignment. It's not fair. I had to play JVs two years before I got to be on varsity. It's not fair. I had to wait till I was 16 to date. My younger sister gets to date at 14. Here was a real profound one. I was driving bus for a girls' softball team a number of years ago. And the girls get on the bus. One of them turns to me, the bus driver, and says, It's not fair. How come the tennis team got the big bus... And we got the small bus isn't that a pretty profound issue in life and I turned to her and said well what's the big deal you know they are both yellow they are both got six tires they're both going to get you to your destination but we have bought the lie that life should always be fair it's not fair you let him go to his locker you won't let me go to mine and as a result of this idea that life should be fair people come to believe that society owes them I was up in the Adirondacks this summer with a camp. I stopped in a little store called the Stillwater Shop, where I've been many times, and the um, the owner of the Stillwater Shop is a staunch right-wing Republican, and he has um, pictures there of all of his favorite presidents, and he had one of, a um, mocking one of his favorite, non-favorite president, who will go nameless, And I said something to him, and we got talking, and um, he said, mark my words, he said, no matter who wins the upcoming election, in his opinion, he said, we're going to see riots in cities like Chicago and Los Angeles. Because people have such an entitlement mentality. You know, as we look at the Occupy movement last year in America, you know, college-age students that never learned in high school and in their younger years that life isn't going to be fair so when they get into the adult world um, that's how it plays out but you know as I read scripture I don't find any place in God's word where God ever promises us that life will be fair matter of fact as I read scripture I read about some people that life was pretty unfair to many of you know the story of Job who walked with God and yet lost pretty much everything he had I think of Joseph, the one godly boy among his siblings who ended up being sold into slavery by his siblings. Folks, get used to it. Life is not fair. But our young people are growing up in a world where they're taught life should be fair. Kids come to their friends and say, your parents aren't fair. They don't let you stay out all hours of the night like my parents. Or here's a Christian kid He's got some physical problems, uh, bad ankle, can't play sports. His non-Christian friend says, well, you know, you talk about this Jesus in your life. You talk about how he meets all your needs. You know, your God's not very fair. He won't let you play sports like, like everybody else your age can. But the thing I come back to is we don't have a God who's fair. We have a God who's just. And that just God doesn't settle all of his accounts in the here and now. And some of the psalms were prayers to God, and the psalmist would cry out and say, God, it's not fair. Why do the heathen prosper? And I'm having all these problems. The answer, one day in eternity, that wicked person is going to receive their due reward. But we just look at a small segment of time. God looks at eternity. And that person who has no interest in spiritual things is one day going to receive their due reward. Lie number five of our culture and our world. People sometimes say, Brian, you've worked with teenagers for 35 years. What changes have you seen in young people over the years? And I sometimes tell them one of the biggest changes I've seen is I believe that every generation of young people is under more pressure than previous generations. You see, teenagers, your parents didn't have to worry about finding some profane website or something popping up on their computer. That wasn't an issue when they were your age. You young people here this morning, you face a lot of things that your grandparents never had to deal with. They they weren't issues and as a result today we have a generation of young people that are majorly stressed the stress comes from a number of places some of it comes from parents you know you go to dad and say dad can I have five bucks sitting at a volleyball game the other night and um, kid was asking for some money from his dad and his dad says well what do you need it for you know what would you do with the other money I gave you and um, you know some dads respond and say Stop bumming money, you know, go out and get a job, mow some lawns, babysit, earn the money. That's stress. If you're in a public school, there's pressure to get straight A's. Kid brings his report card home, shows it to dad, he's been doing his best. He's got four A's and a B, and rather than praising him for the four A's, dad says, you're grounded till you get that history grade up. Second, young people today are stressed from school. If you're on a sports team, there's pressure to win. The swim coach says, we haven't had this poor a season in a long time. We're going to have extra practices before school in addition to those after school. If the girl's a cheerleader, there's pressure to come up with six or $700 to go to a cheerleading camp because the squad can't work on the routine unless the whole team goes. Or if you're on the basketball team, the basketball coach says, anybody that misses a layup in a game tomorrow is going to be running laps in practice. That's pressure, stress. And then third, young people today are under pressure from friends. Pressure to have a boyfriend or girlfriend because everybody else on Facebook seems to have one. Everybody else at school seems to have one. Pressure to act a certain way. Pressure to go certain places. Well, Let's see what Scripture says about this idea of stress. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, if you would, please. Again, some familiar verses. Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. That means do not worry about things. But in everything, by prayer, And petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number of times over the years, substitute teaching at school, a student will come up to me and say, Mr. Shuffler, how come you always seem so happy? Well, sometimes it's because I got a pen in the mail that says Christian companion services. (laughs) But usually I tell them it's because of a relationship that I have with a person by the name of Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us stressed. Scripture says, cast your cares upon me because he cares for you. And then the last statement that I often hear young people make is in the form of a question, and the question is, is it going to be on the test? I wish I had a dollar for every time I was substitute teaching and a student said, Mr. Shuffler, is this going to be on the test? And uh, let me give you a secret this morning, those of you in public schools. Not everything that a substitute teacher gives you are you going to get tested on. Some of it is busy work. But you didn't hear that from me. The reason students ask, is it going to be on the test? If it's not going to be on the test, I don't need to waste time on it. I don't need to know it. I don't want to know it. And the world is telling young people today that God, Jesus, and church aren't going to be on the test. And so they're like, well, you know, Christianity stuff, that's okay for you, but I don't, I don't need that. Let me ask you a question this morning, and I, I'd like you to raise your hands on this one if you would. How, how many of you would like a final test in a school subject if the, if the final test were one question? Adults? Adults? Teenagers, college students, how many of you would like a a final that was one question? Okay, Okay, a few brave people. Okay, how many of you would like a final that was one question where the teacher over and over again told you what the question was going to be and what the right answer was going to (laughs) be? Wow, what a difference. Well, you know, in life, there are different types of tests. The students hate them all there's a pop quiz where the math teacher says take out a half sheet of paper and there's nothing they do to prepare for it there's the chapter test where if you read the chapter you're going to do okay on there's the unit test that if you've been taking any notes on the chapters you'll be ready for and then there's those dreaded events that students don't even want to think about called finals you know life is like that life has different kinds of tests life has pop quizzes Back in 1993, I was at Laterno Camp in Canadegua at a pastor's conference. I was playing in the pastor-layman softball game. I was the first batter for the pastor's team. I hit the ball to left field, which at Laterno Camp means it rolls under a cabin and you have an easy home run. <laughs> I circled the bases once real quick, didn't think too much about it, was standing behind the backstop, and I not, started to not feel too well. Went out to play left field. Um, first ball was hit to center field found myself thinking I'm glad they didn't hit it to me I don't know if I'm feeling well enough to field it said to the center fielder I'm going to go lay down on the porch of the cabin over here lay down for a while the discomfort in my chest area got stronger and stronger and I started thinking at the age of 36 that I was having a heart attack I went and got the camp director's wife and I said surely I'm not feeling too well she grabbed a couple pastors, they started praying for me but before they finished their prayer I interrupted and said surely I think I'm having a heart attack they rushed me to F.F. Thompson Hospital in Canandaigua where I spent the next six days and the next six weeks at home recovering from the first of my two heart attacks I had no advance warning There was nothing I could do to prepare for it, it was a pop quiz that gone allowed in my life in our life there are chapter tests things that are going to happen um, you know, for the little child, it's relationships. You know, in elementary school, will you be my bestest friend? As they move into high school, you know, will you go out with me? You know, the, the whole boyfriend girlfriend thing. In life, there are unit tests. What am I going to do for a living? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do for a career? But in life, there's also coming a final exam. The world doesn't tell us that. The world says, live for today. There's no final exam coming. Turn to Revelation, chapter 20. Again, some familiar verses. Starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it, Earth and Sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the Book of life. The dead were judged according to what they done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire is the second death. And verse 15 says this If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If we live our life like there's no final exam coming, when the final exam comes, we're going to be unprepared. And one of the driving messages in my life for the last 35 years for young people is there is a final exam coming. See, if you're in school and in September you're studying World War II in history and you don't take any notes, you think, I understand World War II. Months pass by, you get to May, the teacher starts reviewing, start thinking about World War II. Now, who was on what side? I can't check my notes, I didn't take any. And so when the final comes, the student is unprepared because in September they lived like there was no final exam coming. And that's what young people and adults in our world and our culture are doing today. They're living for today, not realizing that there's a final exam coming. The question on the final exam of life is not going to be, did you go to church? It's not going to be, were you a good person? I tell young people the question on the final exam of life is not going to be, did you make the high school basketball team? It's not going to be, were you the most popular kid in school? It's going to be, what did you do with the person of Jesus Christ? Did you recognize him as the son of God who left heaven, came to this earth, Savior, Lord of our life? Or did we merely, like our world today, say, well, Jesus was a good guy, he's a good example to follow, but Lord of my life, no, I I don't think so. Six lies this morning of our world. Number one, it's your life. Do with it what you want. Truth, you've been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. Lie number two, you're bored. Lie, the world has the answer to your boredom. Truth, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Have it abundantly. Lie number three, it's no big deal. So what? There's no consequences of action. Truth, there is a right, there is a wrong, there are wages. Our actions. Lie number four, it's not fair. Truth, God never promised us the life would be. Lie number five, I'm stressed. Truth, cast your care upon me. I care for you. Lie number six, live for today. There's no final exam coming. Truth, one day, each of us are going to stand before eternity. Romans 12.2 somebody posted on Facebook this last week in the message and it reads this way don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking that's the message that I leave you with this morning young people don't fit into your culture college students don't fit in to the culture around us adults don't become so adjusted to our culture that we fit into it let's pray father god this morning thank you that we have truth for all time for all generations for all people and that truth is the word of god lord as young people and as college students and as adults as we live in this world help us to be light and salt help us to know your word well enough that when we hear a teacher or a sitcom actor or a song on the radio make a statement we can we're able to say i don't agree with that statement it doesn't line up with the truth of god's word father we pray this morning that if there's anybody here that's never begun that relationship with jesus christ lord show them that it's that in eternity it's not going to matter how many times they Sat in this sanctuary or some other sanctuary, but it's going to be did they bow their knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and put their trust in him as their Lord and Savior? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.